You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And today, we're also joined by one of our favorite Bible teachers here at the Village Church, Kelsey Hensey. Kelsey is the founder and editor-in-chief of Fathom Magazine. That's a media company that's set out to compel people to seek out the depths of Christian faith. Uh, Fathom publishes a monthly magazine, which is really incredible. They have two podcasts, four weekly columns. They have a newsletter, and they run a monthly book club. And Kelsey also teaches uh, Bible classes at the Dallas campus of the Village Church, where she is a member. And on today's episode, Jen, JT, Kelsey, and myself, we talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Trust me, Indiana Jones references abound. I try to introduce the team to Spinal Tap, which they did not know about. Um, But we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, but then also how in 1 Samuel, there are just some really interesting stories that are going to surprise us and probably confuse us about what's happening with the Ark of the Covenant. So we hope you enjoy the discussion. Okay, so this morning was my daughter is just getting to the place to where she knows that I'm leaving and is very upset about it, and it broke my heart this morning. It's absolutely heartbreaking. She stood on the front porch going, don't leave, don't leave, and I was like, oh gosh. Okay, I'm staying. I'm just weeping, (laughs) just weeping, pulling out of the parking lot, or the driveway. We don't have a parking lot at my house. It's not that big. Not yet. It's not a a house in Flower Mountain. My daughter gave me, uh, she kissed me on the cheek for the first time yesterday, and it was, um, like I was, I tried to get Macy to video it, and then she wouldn't do it again, but I have it in my mind forever. But you just sat in your car and listened to butterfly kisses for the next four hours. (laughs) How did you know? <laughs> They're just like one day it'll be it'll be right there at the aisle. Like, oh man! Oh boy! That needs to be a long. Hey, it beats the alternative of her standing at the door and saying, "Get out!" Right? <laughs> you're right. I guess. I Go guess away, you're right. daddy. I guess you're right. That because that that would be that would not feel as great. Yeah, and um, it could still happen. I mean, it, you've got a lot of years ahead of you. Wow! Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> this is sobering me up very quickly. I went from sad to uh, grateful, to scared, and oh, maybe grateful yeah. for the morning. Um, well, we're joined today, um, as you heard in the intro by our friend Kelsey Hensey. Kelsey, welcome. Hello. Glad to be here. I'm so glad that you are here. Do you have any pro tips for callousing your heart when your kids don't want you to leave? Any? Yeah, you know, it's, it's you just have to work up to that moment. Mm. You prepare for it beforehand. You know, in the morning I wake up and I'm like, how do I get rid of them as quick as I possibly can? <laughs> you know? I just prepare my mind. <laughs> Gird the loins of your mind, parents. Right. <laughs> That's good. That's uh, not today is not what that's not what we're talking about. Contrary to what it might seem so far, on today's episode we're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And most of us are familiar with the Ark of the Covenant from what movie, guys? Drumroll. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is in the what franchise? Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. All right. We're already at it. Uh, and I titled this episode, Don't Look at It, because whenever I was reading the story about <laughs> Ark of the Covenant is that there's that great scene, right? The face melt scene. The face yeah. melt scene. That's an incredible scene. But I actually wasn't thinking about that scene. I was thinking about Spinal Tap. Have you ever seen Spinal Tap? No. Oh, my goodness. Shame, shame, shame. The most significant, like, rock mockumentary of all time. You've never seen Spinal Tap? <laughs> No. Have you seen Spinal Tap, JT? I, I feel like I, I feel like I need to say yes, but I need to be honest and say that I haven't. Oh my goodness! 
I Are you feeling lonely right now? I, I really am. Culturally I, lonely. I thought I was like hitting onto this cultural keystone that all of us would be like, yeah. Has that ever happened tap. to you before? No. Um, <laughs> I think you're discovering you're actually part of a kooky little subculture. Maybe so. Anyways, there is a scene in this movie where the guy's like pointing out an amp, and the guy points at it, and he's like, "Don't point at it." He goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't going to touch it. I just was looking at it." He goes, "Don't even look at it. Right? Like, <laughs> like, don't even, don't even look at it. Like, it, like it's a, uh, it's a joke around like the fact that there are some things that are just so sacred, right? You can't touch it. You can't even look at it, right? And in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you see that like when they do look at it. It Bad things not go well. It does not go well. But that's not exactly what happens or what the ark is about in First Samuel. And so I want to talk a little bit about what is happening with the Ark of the Covenant because when you read the historical books, and right now as a church we're doing a Bible study, men and women's Bible study through First and Second Samuel, mm-hmm. right? The right. book mm-hmm. of First and Second Samuel, not the books, right, Jen? Did I get that right? That is correct. You're doing so well. I, well, I'm learning from you. Mm. Um, and so the book of First and Second Samuel, and we're in First Samuel now. And when you get to the passages on the Ark of the Covenant it can be a little bit confusing, right? right? So 1 Samuel 4 through 6, that's kind of where we're going to be at. But I just want to start with this big question. What's the deal with the ark? Like, what is it? Why is it? How is it? What's going on with the ark? Oh, man, the ark. What is the deal with the ark? I think uh, when people think about the ark, they think about just like a box, right? It's just this big ornamental box. Is it even anything more than a box? Maybe it's covered in gold, if you know a little bit about um, the construction of it from the Old Testament, but it's definitely more than a box. God has specifically put the ark together for a purpose, and it actually has contents. There's something inside of it. It's not even empty. It's got the um, the tablets, right? It's got the covenant from God in there, uh, two tablets, and then the, the rod, Aaron's rod, mm-hmm. and a sample of manna. So they have this historical record held within the ark. It holds this history of Israel inside of it. And not only does it hold the history, but it also has a certain place, right? It's in the temple. It's Mm. in the tabernacle. So it's been placed, created for a place and for a purpose. Shows the history. It's also where they meet with God. Mm. So it says the presence of God coming. And think uh, in First Chronicles, right? It's the foot, the footstool of the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? And then Mm -hmm. also the mercy seat. So where God bring His presence is there, and where He communes, where His word comes to the people of. Uh, Israel. So it's a very important piece so it's of the sig- history. So it's significant historically, uh, and it's significant at what it sounds like. It's also significant, like, devotionally. Like, it factors into the right. worship of the people of Israel. Right. How, do, like, what are some of the big ways that the Ark of the Covenant factored into the worship of the people of Israel? It's where once a year the atoning sacrifice was made for the sins of the people. Okay. Just, you know, once a year. And it's in the it's in the Holy of Holies. It's the place that the priest only enters into for that purpose. And there were a ton of rules about how you were to interact with the ark. It could only be carried by the poles that were placed uh, through the sides. And it was only to be carried by Levites. And, you know, we're going to talk about one weird and scary story about the ark today. Um, But then there's probably the better known story is the one about Uzzah later on in the book of Samuel where he reaches out and tries to steady the ark and God just like kills kills him right there on the spot. So maybe that's for a later podcast. But Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it factors into what we're talking about today because in the story in 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6, it's a really bizarre account, yeah. right? So, like, just, like, let's start in First Samuel 4. What's happening in First Samuel 4? We see that the Philistines, it says, you can just read it, like, if you're just reading the titles in your Bible, it says in First Samuel 4 at the top, it probably says, the Philistines capture the ark, right? Yeah. So, they take the ark. Why does that matter? Why would that be a tragic thing for Israel? Like, why would they even want it? Well, it's important to understand 
how how they get to that point. Mm-hmm. For it's because Israel is misbehaving mm-hmm. up to that point. So Israel has been beaten down by the Philistines and decides that they're going to try to use the ark sort of like a rabbit's foot, like a like a lucky charm. Mm. Um, and so they carry the ark into battle, thinking that doing so will spare them. But God does not allow His holiness. I, I think a good way to think about the ark is just to say. Just think about the holiness of God every time you think about it. Mm. He doesn't allow his holiness to be co-opted for whatever purposes people want to use it for. And so they go into battle and they're just roundly defeated. And the Philistines not only defeat them, but they capture the ark and carry it off into Philistine territory. Because according to pagan belief, if you capture someone's God and then take it, you you know, you've, you've officially conquered them. And then you make that God something that you're going to just incorporate into your own um, pantheon. Right. So it becomes like by capturing the ark, somehow they're able to co-opt the power. Right. Right. Like we took your God enemy. away is right. kind of the way that that works. Like right. Divine Red Bull. Yeah. Wow. That way it gives you wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not just, so you don't just feel the shock in the passage of, oh my gosh, Israel was just defeated. You yeah. should also feel the shock of, hang on, how is it that the ark is now in possession of the Philistines and, and it builds a whole lot of tension for the, for the reader um, wondering, you know, now what? So... Does the Ark have magical powers? Like, is this a Harry Potter, like, Horcrux situation? Why, like, why do they want it so bad? Is it just because they're just trying to, like, put salt in the wound for Israel? Like, does, like, is the Ark going to come among the Philistines and all of a sudden, like, like you said, divine Red Bull? Like, is it going to give them power? I think the Philistines think it will. Okay. And I think that the Israelites thought it would, right? When right. we go back and read the story, yeah. they lose the first battle and they're like, what happened? Mm-hmm. How, why did we lose this battle? Why did y'all, why? was Yahweh against us? And then they go and get the ark. Like, oh, I know. We'll just go get the ark. We'll bring mm. it into our presence and everything is going to go awesome. <laughs> right. This is going to be so great. We're going to dominate them. And the Philistines think the same thing. This cry erupts within the army mm-hmm. of the Philistines because this, the God who has defeated the Egyptians, the superpower of the day, mm-hmm. has entered into the camp, right? So they're even remembering God's power um, with the Egyptians just from the other side mm-hmm. of the story, uh, from the Egyptian perspective, not the Israelites' perspective. But they do think they're like oh well maybe if we what it says fight like men <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we fight like real men um no problems <laughs> there anybody um, <laughs> 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 we fight like real men then all of a sudden we'll get that power for us yeah. that that egyptian god that the or the god that defeated the egyptians will be on our side mm. and so they think it is but i mean it's not, it's not. and it proves very quickly to not be the case so right. it's true for both the israelites and the philistines is they both think that by having the presence of god in their camp they can actually manipulate god for their own purpose right mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true for both the Israelites. If we just bring God into battle with us, we can manipulate <laughs> him so that we will win our battles. And the Philistines think the same thing. If we can have God in our presence, then we can manipulate him so that we will continually have defeat over the Israelites. And isn't that just kind of a thinking about the human heart, yeah. something that we do mm-hmm. continually try to uh, manipulate God for our own purposes? Yeah, I was actually talking about this last night. So we were teaching a training program on providence. And I was saying that a lot of times when we talk about God's power, we really want to focus in on his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. But God is not just all-powerful, he's also sovereign, which means mm-hmm. that we don't get to co-opt his power to do what we want with it. We right. really want an omnipotent God and not a sovereign God, because if he's omnipotent but not sovereign, mm-hmm. then we can do whatever we want to with his power. Right. But if he's both, which he is, right. you can't take his power, his presence, and go, great, I got an, I got something I want to do with this. Yeah. And right. the irony of the ark is that it should have reminded them that, right? 
they right. have the ark that has the history of Israel it's in true. its contents. Yeah. They're looking back, it's got the the covenant of God is inside the ark. The covenant that God is going to reign over His people. Right? This the sovereignty of God should have been pretty explicit in right. the presence of the ark itself. They were to remember it, yeah. but they. They totally forgot. They They used it completely differently than the intention. So so maybe backing, I mean, certainly keeping this text in view, but maybe taking a bit of a 50,000-foot perspective real quick. I mean, the ark, theologically, from like a kind of a a storyline perspective, was supposed to represent a re-Edenization of the world. So the ark itself represents the presence of God. The cherubim Mm -hmm. is guarding the presence of God the same way that God guards his presence after uh, Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden and the tabernacle itself is set up to to kind of represent mm-hmm. for Israel this new Eden and so as they're traveling around with this kind of uh, uh, what's the, um, like a uh, Eden that can move mobile right? mobile, 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 mobile that's what I'm looking for mm-hmm. and they're setting up Eden and then they're going into Eden's presence to mm. experience communion with God uh, what happens in Genesis 3 is when Adam and Eve sin they are exiled but here you have the new Adam and Eve, Israel, the sons right. and daughters of God sinning. And instead of them being sent into exile, God himself takes exile upon mm. himself, yeah. which is this kind of really strange turn of events and reversal. Because you would think if Israel sins, God's presence doesn't move. Right. Adam and Eve or Israel will be sent into exile into Babylon, which is exactly what does happen later in the story. But here you have this really strange thing where God God is almost so furious that they would try to manipulate his presence. He says, I will take on exile myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they grieve that. I mean, because mm-hmm. when you look at 1 Samuel 4, I'm just going to read a few verses because they're very interesting. 1 Samuel 4, verses 18 and following. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli, so Eli's hearing that the ark of God has been captured by the Philistines. Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Not functionally fit, Eli. Um, Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave, uh, gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband and she said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Okay, why does Phineas' wife <laughs> say what she says? And why does it seem like death accompanies the ark, right? Like whether it's with Uzzah or with others all throughout the, uh, the story of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, you see that death accompanies the ark. Even right here when Eli hears about it, she's saying like it just seems like death is always around the ark. Why is that the case? Well, so first of all, you know, a little backstory on Eli and his sons. Mm-hmm. Eli has not dispensed of his duty the way that he should. And his sons are absolutely despicable. Like mm-hmm. what we've just learned about them in the previous chapters is not just that they are taking advantage of those who are bringing the offering, but they are also leveraging power for sex with the women who are serving at the temple, at the entrance to the temple. So they're, they're bad on so many levels that by the time we hear this story about Ichabod, you're like, well, 
you know, those guys were terrible. But there's a wordplay going on in the text here that's kind of interesting. Um, when it says that Eli was old and heavy, that word heavy is A-B-O-D. A-B-O-D meaning either heavy or glory, mm. depending on where you see it used. So like when you see in Exodus, God descend on top of Mount Sinai, and it says um, that, um, his, you know, you saw his glory. It, it's more the sense of it was a glorious heaviness that, d- that descends on top of the mountain. So there's this sense of the presence of God being a glorious heavy. Mm. And uh, when when we see Eli heavily fall over and die, it's mm. the first indication that that the heaviness, the glory is is in a sense dying. And then Ichabod's name means no glory, no heavy. Mm. is basically mm. how that that Ichabod thing comes about. And so we're meant to feel this oh, this is really really bad. And then Actually, the the naming that gets paired with the naming of Ichabod in this chapter comes a few chapters later when they raise a stone, Ebenezer, which everyone's familiar with from Come Thou Fount. We sing about it all the time, but that's thus far the Lord has helped me. Hmm. Um, A heavy stone is raised to indicate that the Lord's presence has, has returned and is with them. And so there's this nice little pairing of ideas here. But yeah, the reason that the they sense the the presence of God departing from them is because they understand that if the ark is not with them, he's, he has effectively said, you're on your own. Right. And what they've done, as JT's kind of picked up on in his earlier comments, is they have embraced a pagan way of thinking with regard to the very things of mm. God. And I think if you, it puts me in mind of Isaiah 42, 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Mm. And what Israel effectively does is reduce the Ark of the Covenant to a carved idol. Yeah. And he will not, the Lord will not have it. Yeah. And so he, he says, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to go hang out with the Philistines and right. teach them a lesson about idolatry while I'm there. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture. But what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Right. Which is exactly what he does. Because right. Eli's not the only one that falls. Right. In verse him. There's like people there's, just keep dying. People keep dying and people keep falling because when you get when you go right through that, so you get to the end of this story, uh, of First Samuel four, and it's almost like a cut scene in a movie. Mm. It's almost like, you know, 
at the very same time, right? Like the Philistines are bringing the ark in and they got in and, you know, they're throwing a big party and they're like, look, we got the ark, we got the ark. And it says in chapter five, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold... Oh, guess what? <laughs> Dagon had fallen face down, uh, downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Okay, so we can just pause right there. What is happening here? (laughs) What is going on with Dagon and the Ark of the Covenant? Help me out, Kelsey. Okay. Well, I love this part of the story. Okay. You know, I think that there, one of the Psalms talks about how God laughs. And I feel like this is like one of the places where God was like, I'm going to actually make this like a parody. This is going to be kind of funny. Right. Um, so I love this part. But what's going on is that they take the they take the ark and they bring it to the temple of Dagon. And they're thinking like this is more than just a trophy of victory, right? They didn't like win the Super Bowl and they're passing this thing around. Right. They sort of are, but they're taking it and they put it in there as the sign of submission, right? Mm-hmm. Their Yahweh is in submission to our God, Dagon. Right here, he's right by this God. Um, and in effect, not only is he in submission, but we have taken his power from him. It's almost mm. like they're wanting to mm-hmm. siphon the power that's remaining from the ark to Dagon. Um, but what they find in the next morning is none of, the, none of those things are true, right? The great reversal has happened. Mm. It's as if Dagon has bowed before Yahweh, before the ark of the covenant. And so here we have this reversal, reversal where all of the sudden where Dagon is face down, basically bowing The submission idea is reversed. But at the same time, the next day when they come in and he's decapitated and he doesn't have his hands, not only is the submission reversed, but so is the power. The power has been reversed the whole time throughout um, this this chapter. But even starting in chapter four, the hand of God is like Mm -hmm. this image that we see Mm -hmm. throughout the whole that whole scene. Mm -hmm. The hand of God is heavy against some. The hand of God is against some. The hand of God is for some. And it will continue to change. So for him to have his hands you know, completely just gone. He is now, the power is not with Dagon. It is still with the Ark. And we have yeah. this great reversal. And yeah. You have this like, silly picture of these people like lifting this guy. They're like, he's I mean, so imagine powerful. How awesome that I'm totally going right. to have to pick like, him up off the ground. Oh, shoot, he fell over. You know, like, <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> right. Hurry exactly. up, get in here. Well, it's kind of like, the, you know, it's kind of like when you, you know, you really hype something up and then it totally does not deliver, right? Yeah. And you're like, well, I got to try to justify what happened here, right? You end up carrying this thing. And that's exactly what you see because you're right. And that's your uh, your insights there are so helpful, Kelsey, because it's a great reminder too. Just pastorally, this is a point to kind of pause and think about when the presence of the Lord enters in, like we've been talking. It just changes the scenario, mm-hmm. like it just changes the whole dynamic. In Philistine, in the Philistines' mind, Dagon probably up until this point had been considered to be far more powerful than Yahweh. I'm sure mm-hmm. they would mm-hmm. love to have believed that, uh, but then here it's being demonstrated that it's could not be further from the truth right? That Dagon is actually not as powerful as Yahweh and that Yahweh can defeat him just by virtue of his very presence. He doesn't even need an army, Yeah. right? The Philistines have defeated Israel, but God steps into the Israelite army. He's literally behind enemy lines and it's just his presence, no army attached to it. And he is beheading their God. Right. 
That's incredible. Incredible. It's and the greatest army that the, for sure, the Israelites know. Mm-hmm. In the middle of this Iron Age mm-hmm. where the Philistines have a monopoly on iron and mm-hmm. they can create the best weapons and they can do, they're like the military superpower and they basically think they've got like this nuclear bomb now, right? They're like, we know we have the technology right. moving forward. We've got the ark. It's just such an I- ironic interaction. Yeah. There's also some theological and kind of narrative foreshadowing going on here. because So uh, a theme that you see in the Bible continually is you become Become like what you worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so right after Israel worships the golden calf, mm-hmm. uh, God calls them a stiff-necked people, just mm-hmm. like the thing that they were just worshiping. And so the Philistines are worshiping this God named Dagon, who is supposedly in their mind more powerful than Yahweh and is going to be able to lead them into victory in battle and even put Yahweh into submission. And we see here, in, in, like we've been reading in chapter five, that that's not true. Yahweh is the Lord. He is sovereign. Dagon is no God at all. Mm-hmm. But then you have a few chapters later in this very same book in First Samuel chapter 17, which I'm not sure if we're going to do a podcast on or not, but you have... It's, yeah, two episodes from now. Oh, awesome. <laughs> but, just, but, just, but I think it's important to say here, so yes. you, have, you have David going into, into battle against the Philistines, a guy named Goliath, mm-hmm. which is a story we're all familiar mm-hmm. with, and he's a worshiper of Dagon. Mm-hmm. And in this battle, as I'm sure most of the listeners would know, what happens is, 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 is David is reliant upon the presence of God, not on manipulating God, mm-hmm. but just says Yahweh is Lord and I'll, I'll trust him. Who is this Philistine uh, that is going to mock Israel and the armies of Israel and, and Yahweh himself? And he goes into battle and what happens to Goliath? His head is cut off mm-hmm. the exact same way that Dagon's head yeah. falls off. Mm-hmm. And so uh, something that's important to remember just pastorally for us as Christians, you become like what you worship. If you worship uh, false idols, if you worship things that can be carved out of stone or, or uh, metal or wood, you will become like those things. But like we teach in the training program when we come to this lecture, if you worship Jesus, you become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. You'll be in union with him. The spirit will conform you into his image. And so we see here in just in story form, not, not so much theological form, is that you will be like what yeah. you worship. If yeah. you worship a false mm-hmm. god like Dagon, yep. your head will be cut off like lions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, okay, so this account of Dagon, and then when you flash forward, it looks like, okay, now God starts to judge the people in Ashdod. He starts mm-hmm. to judge the Philistines, and it says that he judged them, he struck them, he terrified them, and afflicted them with tumors, okay? Um, and then it goes on there, and in verse Golly. 11, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, it's very Exodus-ish in this, on, this yeah, account, totally right? on purpose, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then verse 11, it says, they sent, therefore, the people of Philistine, uh, the, the Philistines, they sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city because the hand of God, like you've said, Kelsey, it's just over and over here. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die there or did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. And then moving forward to chapter six, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what we shall send to its place. They said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. Okay. What do they send? They send the ark with five golden tumors and five golden mice. What? Uh-huh. Isn't that is your dream? That? Yeah. I mean, like, if you sent me a box <laughs> with five golden mice, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't know what to do with that. I'm terrified of rats, so I probably would throw it away or melt the melt them down. But why? 
Well, they're blending their pagan understanding of how gods interact with humans with an attempt to uh, make a guilt offering to Yahweh. And and so what really is happening here is that the ark is, um, well, that God is basically reenacting the story of Exodus. He strikes plagues upon those who are the oppressor. And then he ends up, we, we haven't gotten to that part in the narrative yet, but he ends up coming out of the, the captivity um, bearing the wealth of his oppressors with him. Mm-hmm. So the, it's, it's not just that they're formed in this particular image. It's, they're made of gold. So right. like mm-hmm. God doesn't just leave. He takes Bullion. the money with him right. when well, he well, leaves. Well, like Exodus. Yeah, just like Exodus when they leave with the wealth of Egypt yeah. uh, on on their backs. And um, and then the beauty of this is that when, when the Philistines are like, how do we get rid of this thing? They're like, what we don't want to happen is, <laughs> is, is for this to be like something that comes back our way. And so they, they set it up so that they can absolutely know that the Lord mm-hmm. has accepted their offering by choosing um, these cows that have nursing calves because the instinct of a cow with a nursing calf is to go right back to that calf as quickly as possible. Right. And so these little mama cows get the ark put on their backs and they just walk it straight back to Israelite territory um, by the hand of the Lord. And so mm. what is really poignant and uh, also a little sad is that for seven months, Israel's done nothing to get the ark back. Mm-hmm. They're right. just, they've gone about with life as usual. Yeah. And God returns to his people yeah. on his own terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. Which doesn't make me get choked up at all on the no. podcast. No, you're very composed right now. You know, and then like literally the ark shows up in this field and the, and the Israelites are like, oh, hey, check that out. You know, I mean, it's like, guys. Yeah, it says, you know, when the, uh, now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat ha- harvest in the valley and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. But it's like, they were doing their own thing. Yeah, they're like bringing in the wheat harvest. Meanwhile, God's defeated the Philistines without them and right. returned. Yeah, he returning victorious. Yeah. And faithful to a people that have forgotten and abandoned them. And with wealth. <laughs> right. What a kindness, right? <laughs> that was really helpful and insightful. Thank you for that. Is that foreshadowing perhaps or kind of typology of Jesus entering uh, in his triumphal entry, uh, sitting upon the back of an animal, returning to his people, people who don't even hmm. see him, recognize him, or expect him, but coming to bring victory in battle? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It could be. I mean, I think there's definitely a layer there. I mean, it, it is certainly a picture of... Um, God saving his people when they're not paying attention. Yeah. Right? Which oh, is, sure. you know, that while we're dead That's in That's kind of what I'm getting after. I mean, yeah. it might not be like a, a very, very specific <clears throat> typology, but just again, the same story over and over and over again of, of us forgetting Yahweh, his saving purposes and his covenantal promises to us. Here you have people in Jerusalem who think they're worshiping God specifically for yeah. the Passover. Yeah. And God comes entering in right. himself on the back of an animal to yeah. save them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's cool. We should yeah. look at that. Mm-hmm. And in very humble means, right? Absolutely. The donkey. Mm-hmm. And then this pr- this procession, while it has gold mice and tumors, which feels important. Pretty special. It's so <laughs> special. Glittery. Um, uh, is still a pretty humble coming yeah. of the presence of the Lord back to his people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's inc- it, This is a really fascinating. Like whenever I was writing the run sheet for this, I wanted there were a hundred questions I wanted to ask. The last thing here that I want to bring up, because I just feel like we have to. So I read the verse from chapter six where it says, that, okay, the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. Okay. The cart came to stop in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and it stopped there. Great stone was there. They split up the wood of the cart. They offered the cows as burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it. 
which were the golden figures, they set them upon the great stone. The, Beth, the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings, sacrifice, sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. Okay, now if you skip down to verse 19, it says, And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Okay, so God enters back in triumphant victorious to his people. The people of Beth Shemesh receive it. They're like the people mm-hmm. that are there. They just mm-hmm. like happen to be there where the ark stops. And then God strikes them blind. Why? Why does God strike them blind? Face melt scene. Face melt. <laughs> is that what it is? Um, no, really, is there any insight here? I, I've been really struggling with this. I feel like, I mean, the, the way that I was, the, the way that I was kind of making sense of it is that, because uh, I was looking at it again last night, and as I was thinking through it, I thought, is this a, like, is this part of that picture of that when God's presence enters in, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes, he is, like, uh, he wants to be near his people. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's come back in victorious. But, like, there is a sign of his holiness has entered in, and it confronts our sin. Yeah. There has to be some Absolutely. sort of impact to that. Yeah. And so the ark is... Oh, Go ahead. <laughs> the ark has always been the symbol of God's presence, a, a holy presence among a sinful people. Right. And that, which Jen talked at the beginning about, that once a year they sprinkle the blood for the mercy seat, mm-hmm. for the forgiveness of sins. Right. So we have this idea already that you are not, you are, you are not capable of coming before the holy presence of the Lord um, as you stand. And the people ask the question, who can stand mm-hmm. before this right. God? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And the mm-hmm. answer is, as we are, we cannot. Right. And immediately when this happens with the ark, we're just seeing that God's character is the same in Israel as it is in Philistia, right? They right. are God is not going to change. He is he's, he is the same with them as he is with his enemies. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I think what you see developing throughout this book, I mean, when, when we get to the part where they're talking about having Saul as king and Samuel is admonishing them and he's saying, hey, you shouldn't have asked for this. You're going to get what you asked for. But Here's the deal. If you and your king will fear the Lord, then he will establish your throne forever. And there's this tension in the text that builds between um, the terror of the Lord, which the pagan feels, and then the right reverence of the Lord, which the child of God feels. And, you know, I really have been thinking about this a lot, how too often in the church we tell people that to be a Christian is to have freedom from fear. And I think it's misleading to Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. because what we're seeing here is that both the Philistine and the Israelite needed to understand the holiness of God in a way that made them tremble. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the Philistine trembles because there is no deliverance from the wrath of God. But the Israelites should tremble knowing that they've been spared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, or in our case, the believer, yeah. we, we tremble because we know that the wrath of God, which we deserved, um, was meted out on Christ. Mm-hmm. And so um, to, to have a concept of Christianity that says to be Christian is to have all fear go away. Like it's not wrong for Israel to fear the Philistines. Right. Uh, their fear should, should drive them to faithfulness in God. Right. Uh, and, and so for us, when we experience fear in our lives around very, there are things that are fearful. When you get a scary diagnosis, mm-hmm. you shouldn't just be able to pray away the fear around that, mm-hmm. but the fear should drive you to dependence on God. Yeah. And so um, I think what we see play out in the text here is everyone should fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Uh, and, and that's, you know, we, we joked about this a lot. Like when you ask women who've been beat over the head by Proverbs 31 their whole lives, you know, what is that key descriptor of a woman who, who God honors? It's a woman who fears the Lord. Right. But we rarely talk about the fear of the Lord. No, it's mm-hmm. true. It's true. That's good, Jen. And we see the right reaction in the next chapter, right? The thing, that very thing you're talking about, it goes, we go from who can stand before the Lord to repentance in chapter seven, where they come, the Philistines then come upon them again. And who do they turn to? They turn to the Lord in their fear. Mm. So we see the right answer. Yeah. Right. Because God throughout the historical books is reorienting his people to like, this is what it looks like to live with Yahweh. Like we know that you have forgotten it. And Mm -hmm. God's saying, "I, I know that you've forgotten that. And I'm going to show you again. And I'm going to raise up a king eventually that will lead this way mm. and that will continue to bring my presence to bear on my people. Oh, man, there was so much we could do in these chapters. But this was fun. It was great. Thank yeah, you, Kelsey, so, so much so for joining you, us. Thanks for having me. I thought about dribbling some toothpaste on my shirt. Just so that, I could be <laughs> that is the password. Yeah. easy on me. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, I would have really appreciated it. It would have been like, you know, a, a sign of solidarity. But <clears throat> it's okay. You look clean today, Kyle. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I did put on a shirt that had a stain. And then as I was leaving, my wife said, that shirt has a stain. I said, but it's comfortable. <laughs> and she said, but they'll give you a hard always... time on the podcast if you wear it. So I change shirts. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be looking at the Davidic Covenant and the mission of God. See you next time. Grace and peace. Peace.